0: As much as I love technology, it was something that, that I just would never be good at. Uh, being homeschooled, I was in this really unique position uh, in my schedule to graduating high school. Um, since, I was, since I was ahead of where I was in my, uh, in my requirements for graduation, I had a, a few options uh, in my last year. And, and so I thought that it was a great idea to convince my parents that I should learn some computer programming languages uh, for a math credit. Uh, for, uh, for my last credit for, uh, for uh, graduating high school. Now, that should have been the first thing to tip me off, that this was not a, uh, a very good idea. Um, because while I did really well with geometry and I, I understood all the axioms that went along with that, all of those things that you've probably put out of your brain already, um, I did not do so great with algebra. I hated algebra i absolutely absolutely despised algebra (laughs) thank you (laughs) i was hoping to get at least one Uh, but uh but here is why i hated algebra and why it vexed me so much it's because i hated writing down every single stupid little point and note on how you got from x to the number that you solve for. Now, I could solve for X. I could look at a problem and say, okay, yeah, I can, I can work this out. This is the solution. But no, 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 no. In algebra, you need to show your work. And you need to have a logical progression of how you get from X to the digit. And you see, this is where I ran into a, a, a few problems when it came to learning computer programming because every line of code matters in a program you see when you write everything down into a, into a compiler and it's been at least a couple of decades since I've done this so if any of you like know this stuff right now please be gracious about my recounting of my my understanding of computer programming but when you write down your your lines of code every single piece matters every space every punctuation every every letter every every command matters where you put it and so you see when all is said and done after the code is written it needs to be debugged and in this process all the code is compiled and executed and you end up with the results of whatever it is that you wrote down And ultimately for me as I said before I will never be a computer programmer for the same reason that I was never very good at algebra the steps the process kind of eluded me. Now we've all kind of made that argument or at least your kids make that argument of saying, but mom, dad, I'll never use this in everyday life. I'll never be standing in the grocery store and have to solve for X before I swipe my, de- my debit card. And, and while there are things in, in coding that I have long since forgotten, there are some principles which I remember to this day that have stuck with me. And and this is where this morning, I wanna share with you one of these and we're gonna launch into a bit of a conversation. And yes, when I say conversation, I mean conversation. There's gonna be some points here in which I am going to need your feet. That's right, I, I'm actually going to ask you to talk in church here this morning. So, uh, so we're going we're to kind of help each other out uh, as we try to, uh, to understand a piece of scripture this morning. So the first thing that I, I or the thing that I want to share with you, the thing that I learned, that I took from, um, from, from my, my time learning programming was, was a syntax statement that's if, then, else. If, then, else. Commands typically have a, a true-false modifier to them. If the command is true, then an execution is, is, uh, on a particular then takes place. For example, if Pastor Mark has a cup of coffee, true statement, if Pastor Mark has a cup of coffee, then he will drink it. That seems like a, that seems like a, a logical progression from the, from the true if to the then. Now, let's, uh, let's look on the other side of this. If the if is false, the program will default into an else command. Using the same illustration, if Pastor Mark does not have a, have a cup of coffee, a false statement, then he will drink water, else. This is where, um, this is where we, we can translate this thing in, into everyday life. Um, every decision that we make, Every choice, every step forward has an if-then-else to it. And we may look at this as, as cause and effect, but we always make a choice. And we always have choice in the decisions, decisions that we make. And one of the strongest areas that impacts us uh, when we make our choices in, in, is then in the way that we identify ourselves. It's in our identity what do I mean by this? Where, where do my choices impact my identity? If I'm an introvert or an extrovert, how do my choices impact that thing? Uh, we rationalize things with, with like, I didn't, choose to, I didn't choose my heritage. I didn't choose my ethnicity. Uh, one of the hot button issues in our culture when we talk about, about identity and choices is the, uh, the topic of, of human sexuality or gender. You know, we, we, uh, we, we kind of default or our culture kind of defaults into this place of like, well, this is just how I was born. I didn't choose this. So if I am implying or if I'm stating that every choice has an if-then-else, then how do my choices impact my identity? And one of the biggest philosophical questions that you and I will ever ask about ourselves, one of the, the, one of the biggest questions that we will ask in life and try to understand is who am I? You see, we all try to find meaning in different places. We all try to find value in different places. And we're gonna use this structure this morning to look at a piece of scripture that I believe gives us one of the most, one of the most potent descriptions of your identity. And I do, mean, I do mean potent. I mean it's powerful. I mean it, I hope that it changes the way that you think about yourself this morning. Now I'm not gonna give you the reference uh, right on the front of this because I don't want anybody, any of you to cheat, but uh, but this is where I'm going to, uh, I'm gonna ask for a couple of people uh, to to help me. I'm gonna write a couple of statements down on the uh, the, the board here. And, and so I want you to think about some of these things and, uh, and then I'm gonna call on, uh, I'm gonna call on you to kind of give me a couple of, of rapid fire answers. I know that I'm inviting trouble this morning but I'm trusting you guys. I'm trusting you guys that we're gonna get this, through this thing together, all right? So the very first statement is, is an if statement. It's I have been, I have been. This is kind of an identifier statement. Not a, uh, you, we, we often ask each other, how have you been? We often ask ourselves, where have you been? Especially if, uh, I think this morning we had, uh, you know, a couple of, we might have a couple of stragglers that come in at about 11 o'clock and, you know, the where, (laughs) where have I been? I don't know. So let me ask you this question. When you think of, when you think of the way that you identify yourself, what are some words, what are some words that you use to describe your character? What are some words that you use to describe if you're introducing yourself to somebody for the first time what how would you how would you describe yourself happy-go-lucky okay so so you have an emotional you have an emotional identity okay okay what else what are some other descriptors kind Kind? okay so we have we have a character we have a character identity. Okay, what what are some other things? What are some other ways that we, we introduce ourselves or we talk about ourselves? I think I'm busy. Yeah, I'm busy. Okay, so so we have a um, so we have an occupational We have an occupational identity. What are some, what are some other defining things? What, what's that? Fault finding. Fault finding. Fault finding. We have a critical. We have a critical identity. Just a couple more here. You're, you're a mother. Okay, so you're, you're a mother and you're a daughter. You're a, you're a sister. You're a wife. Okay, so you have, you have a relational. You have a relational identity. And then, what's, what's one of the things that we often do, especially when we're in, like, business gatherings? Like, we talk about our profession. You know, I am an assistant pastor, or I am a teacher, or I am a, I am a this or that. We have, we have a, a, a professional identity. And all of these things, all these things kind of play into the... I have been. These are things that we use to describe our character, that we use to um, to define ourselves, especially when it comes I- into relationship. We also have things like like uh, like uh, a, a proximal identity, where where we kind of relate to um, the the people who know we are known because of our, our proximity to other other people. Like I am Mark's assistant, or I am uh, I am Mike's friend. You know I. We, we often identify ourselves in, in how we are, are not only relationally uh, connected or where we find our relational identity, but also who we find ourselves in, in proximity to. All right, so we're going to go ahead, and I'm just going to leave this over here. We're going we're to get into another, another statement here that I'm going to need your help with. Don't worry. I'm almost done asking for your help. This is not scary. You're going to be fine. Okay? So I want you to... When you think about character and you think of identifiers, what characteristics come to mind when we, when we talk about Christ? What are some characteristics of Jesus that are things that, like, yeah, when I think about Jesus, this is what I think about. Healer, Healer okay. okay. Teacher? Mom. Teacher, love, awesome. Obedient, I heard that. Wow, these are great ones. I heard a couple others. Hope, Hope okay. Okay, a couple more. Redeemer. Redeemer. Patient. Patient, awesome. Lord. Lord. So I have an identity, I have a have been, this changes based on my circumstances. This changes based on my situation. Sometimes I don't feel, (laughs) I don't feel like not being critical. I, I don't feel the best in some of my relationships. Sometimes there are emotional points of connection with our character, our profession. Now there's an, important, there's an important thing here if we're looking at this from the perspectives of if and then. If I have been this and Christ has been this, remember, The character of Jesus never changes. We see that in Scripture that Jesus Christ is the same today as He is yesterday and He will be the same tomorrow. His characteristics are unchanging throughout any circumstance. All of history, He will always be Jesus. He will always be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. His character is consistent within Himself. You see, we, we have this thing, we have this thing. If I have been like this, it means that my identity and my identity is capable of being fractured all over the place, that, that I may, in, in a character standpoint, have be, be one person in one place and one person in the other place, but there's a bridge that connects the two of these statements. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. This becomes an if statement then. And if this is an if statement, it needs a then statement to it as well. If I have been crucified with Christ, what does that mean? It means that I no longer live. And I think this is one of those places where we often get caught up and we get hung up really, really easy. Because let's face it, I'm okay with Jesus being crucified. I'm okay with Jesus being crucified because it means that you know he's obedient to the Father and and that that it means that there's there's grace for me and that his great love for me, but there's this suggestion that's a little bit more than a suggestion that Jesus was crucified for a reason. Jesus was crucified because I have been separated from him. And all of the things that I put my identity in, all of those things that I use to build up me can fracture relationship with God and with others that the things that I put my stock in, in my identity, can be very self-focused. But if I have been crucified with Christ, then I no longer live. And if I no longer live, if I no longer live, is true, then what is the then statement for all of this? It is, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I think sometimes that we forget, it's easy for us to forget, that in all of this, all of my past, all of the ways that I've done things, all of, the, all of my methods, all of those things, which were apart from Jesus, before Jesus, have been crucified. It means they've been put to death and I don't mean like they've been silenced or they've been put, they've put, been put out gently. Crucifixion was a, very, was a very messy and very public form of execution. You knew when somebody was being crucified because the Romans did it to make a statement. The Roman statement was, you have crossed us. You have broken our law. We are making an example of you. And we have Jesus, the healer, the teacher, the courageous one, the one full of justice and patience, our redeemer, full of hope and obedient to the work of the Father, the Lord Steps into his creation. Walks with us. And goes to a cross. But you see, it doesn't end in the crucifixion. We have 2,000 years. We have 2,000 plus years of history. That we have seen the impact of the resurrection of Jesus And not just a one-time resurrection of Jesus from his grave, but thousands of years of people being resurrected, that all of this is put to death and the character of Christ is inserted into our lives and friends. And friends, there is this beautiful thing that takes place when I have been crucified with Christ. When I say, you know what, God? There's this thing in me, there's this past, there are these mistakes, there are these things that I've done that I know break your heart. But I want to lay those things down at your feet. I want, to, I want to crucify those things. I want to make an example of them. I want to put them to death so that no other sin comes in here, so that there's no room for anything else. And then Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, he starts transferring these things into me. And so then, by his strength, I get to be obedient to him as he was obedient to the Father. And there's great hope that lives in me because if God could love a sinner such as me, if God could have grace for me, there's hope for the whole world. And that I am a minister of his redemption. That we are, as we are, as we are crucified with Christ, we are redeemers, we are co-redeemers of this earth in, in his service. And he enables me to be patient when I don't want to be. And courageous when I'm full of fear. I had a moment near the beginning of this week where I was frustrated for most of my day, and I can't even tell you what it was that was frustrating me because I don't remember. And during the day, there was a young gentleman that walked in. His name was Steve. And Steve says, "Hey, I, I really hate to bother anyone here, but I just I just need a ride. I just need a ride down to the tech. Does anyone have any um, a minute to do that?" I was like, "Hey, yeah, let's do that." So we jumped in the car and we drove, and you know, we talked a little bit and. Great, dropped him off, went back to the office, and I was still kind of in that like I was in my funk. Like you ever get in that headspace where you're kinda of in that funk. So I'm in like in my headspace and I'm like getting ready to leave the office. And I hear the, the doorbell and I hear somebody clicking at the door. I'm going, Oh no. I am not patient right now. <laughs> I'm not feeling very kind or very joyful. And it was Steve again. Hey, I, I just I, I was wondering if you could if you could drive me to the other side of town. I was just leaving, Steve. I'll take you. And so we're talking, and he's asking me questions about being a pastor, and he's a couple years younger than me, and and he made this comment that just like it the, like like the God's God really just convicted me in this moment. He was just like, man, he's like, it's so nice to see someone that's so full of joy. And I'm going, I am not joyful today. I am not feeling joyful today. But friends, this is the thing that happens and that can happen when we choose to crucify the have-beens with Christ and allow him and his spirit to live in us. You see, he's the one that cleans out the house. He is the one that, that puts this stuff to death. We have to just give him permission to do it. And then like Jesus said on so many occasions, go, sin no more. You see, friends, this is found in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. Such a powerful, powerful statement for us today. Now if there's a, an if and there's a then, we haven't really talked about else. For the Christian, else is not an option. We don't half crucify we're half-crucified with Christ. We don't half-live in Him. And this is hard because we often live in the land of the else. But you see, there's more good news and it's found in, in Ephesians chapter two. It's the it's same writer, Paul, says this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You see, we try to save this thing like this is where we live. This is where, we try to save this thing like this is the area where we live. But, but Paul is saying, no, you were dead in that. You were actually dead and you were dying in that in your transgression and your sin which you used to live When you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and its thought. Like the rest, we were by our very natures deserving of wrath. We were deserving of wrath. You see, we deserved the crucifixion when Jesus didn't. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not From yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So if this is true, if the old me is truly dead, if it's truly crucified with Christ, and through the Holy Spirit he lives in me, what do I do with this? Fortunately, you and I are not computer programs. We deal in more than true-false statements. We have past and present circumstances and experiences. We have future hopes and dreams. We have fears and passions. And we still need some debugging every now and then. Some of our core coding, broken from original sin, gets fragmented along the way but into this mess, Jesus steps in. And he's not afraid of your mess. And he's not afraid of my mess. And this means that we don't have to stay here. We don't have to stay who we have been because everything that has been Has been crucified with Christ and it no longer lives, which means that we don't have to continue to live in sinful patterns. We don't have to use the, oh, well, I'm only human excuse or the, well, God is love and Jesus loves me the way I am excuse because Jesus is no longer your excuse, He's your everything. So there are some questions. To deal with the next steps here. What part of have been needs to die? What part in you of the have been still needs to die? What keeps rearing its ugly head? I don't have this in your notes, but I want you to just write these three things down. <laughs> write down uh, confession, repentance, accountability. Confession, repentance, accountability. Confession is, is, is we're, we're, we're sharing with God and even with fellow believers like this is, this is what I'm struggling with. This is, this is where I am. Repentance, Pastor Mark talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It is a complete turning away from that thing and going in the other direction of it. And accountability is, is, uh, is, is walking together with somebody, getting help and asking the question, does anyone in your life have permission to ask you tough questions? Do you have a jerk in your life? A friend is a friend when you need one and a jerk when you need one too. I'm so thankful I have excellent jerks in my life. Next question, what do I keep going back for? What do I keep going back for? What do I look at and go like, oh man, like I just need a little bit of that right now. I just need a little bit of that right now. What do I keep going back for? Let it say dead and let Jesus resurrect you. Don't resurrect that thing. What do I need to be crucified with Christ daily within me? What do I need to be daily crucified in Christ within me? You know, sometimes there are those struggles that don't go away overnight. Sometimes those are, there are those things in our lives, those things that we identify with, that don't go away overnight, and it's a daily reminder that I need the grace of God in work in me today. And the beautiful news, like the Apostle Paul, who had some type of malady, called it a thorn in his flesh. He begged God to take it away, but God's response was, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weaknesses. We get to rely on God in those moments for extra grace. And if the Spirit of God if the Holy Spirit lives in me, how do I make more room in the house? Maybe there's some areas in your life where you need to blow out some walls. Maybe there's some compartments that are still somewhere in the heart that are like, oh God, you can have everything else, but that thing, just don't touch that. I just don't want you to have that. And he's like, I want in there. Oh, come on, Jesus, just stay in the good room. Just stay, just, stay in the, just stay in the front room. Like, you don't want it in that closet. Like, I, that's where I put all my garbage. Like, don't, don't go in there. No, I want in there too. Abraham Kepper said that there's, there's God who is sovereign over all. There's nothing in all of his creation that he does not point to and say, mine. Here's how I want us to close here this morning. I'm gonna share one story with you and, and uh, there's gonna be a, there's going to be a music video that we're going to play, and I want us to make some space for prayer. I know that we're running a little long here for the service, and we've got the the chili uh, contest. The chili's still going to be there. Chili's one of those great things that the more it cooks, the better it tastes. So I'm trying to help all you out. Try to to try to beat me, um, but. Uh, but I want us to make some space for prayer here this morning because maybe for you this morning, this is the first time that you're getting this. Maybe for you this morning, this is a good reminder of, ah, shoot, I keep resurrecting that thing. And I just want us to take some time to pray. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move the stand down here and we're gonna we're gonna put on a music video and just leave some space. If you want to whatever posture you want to take. If you want to take some time up at one of the altars, I'm sure Pastor Mark, myself, would love to pray with you. Um, But let's uh, let's just take some time and ask some of these questions. Have I really been crucified with Christ? Do I no longer live, but is Christ living in me? to me